0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, Special hello to those of you who are here uh, in front of me, and uh, hello to those who are watching online. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope. Uh, It's my privilege to share with you a message from the Word of God today. And scripture today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And this is the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, And go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. One more verse. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, once again, congratulations to r 28 class of 2020. Uh, I'm so proud of you guys, Uh, and I just want to note that you have welcomed me, uh, loved on me, and responded to me so warmly, Uh, even though I had only joined your ministry just a couple months ago, and myself and my family are so indebted to you, um, it was one of my personal goals to make sure to celebrate you well as you graduate, because I knew that the timing was going to be this way. But um, ever since COVID started to hit, and then now such so much more uncertainty that our country is going through, all the more, um, just want you to know that I have been praying for you. Uh, And it's not just me, but I'm sure many here uh, in front of me and many at home who are watching online, people that you may not even know are thinking about you. We're praying for you. We are here for you, um, once again, congratulations to Class of 2020, and, and really, congratulations to all of Class of 2020, and I think some of you are here uh, in front of me, so all of the Living Hope Church grads, I just want to say congratulations and job well done to you. Uh, this is such a special time uh, in your life, and we celebrate you. And, you know, graduation season, uh, it, it oftentimes and not makes me feel hopeful, and it makes me feel hopeful because I get to think about, and I'm guessing you are similar to me, in that we think about all of the needs and the wants that can possibly come and be met in the next stage of life. Um, if you are a parent to a little one uh, who is entering the elementary school for the first time, you might be asking yourself, well, is he or she tall enough? Um, is my child developing fast enough or on pace um, physically. If you are a parent to a a budding teenager entering the middle school for the first time, then you may be asking yourself a little bit more of, uh, well, is my child responsible? Can he or she um, meet the demands and increasing demands of teenage life? And can he or she have a decent and fulfilling and meaningful connections to other people? If you are a college student, um, or if you are a new college student, welcome, freshman, by the way. Uh, I, I just met you guys, but I love you guys already, and I'm so excited, along with the rest of our staff and our upperclassmen, to walk with you at r 28 If you are entering college for the first time, you might be asking, do I really want to be a math major, or did I really choose a good college? Uh, if you are graduating college, then obviously you're probably asking um, career questions, relationship questions, family questions, and we have all these needs and wants in this graduation time that we're reminded of that are physical, emotional, social, relational. But I wonder if we have been thinking about our spiritual desire and needs. And that word spiritual is such a broad term, right? I think we and I probably have differing ideas of what actually we mean by spiritual. Um, to me, I try to simply define it as anything and everything that pertains to my relationship with God. Anything and everything that point towards relationship with God, or specifically that which affects my inner being, soul, or spirits that you may call it. And, you know, if I define it this way, I do recognize that it's pretty broad still. And and secondly, I don't think any one of us would disagree to that kind of spiritual growth. I think if you are a Christian, you would want this type of spiritual growth. You would want this type of spiritual growth not only for yourself but for your family and especially for your children. But I wonder if we really examine our heart of hearts, where our spiritual desire and needs may lie in comparison to, compared to all of the other needs and wants that we might be thinking about in this graduation season. I wonder how we would respond if we discover that to God, Our spiritual needs and desires, our spiritual wants, is by far the most important to him. This story that we have just read together in Mark chapter 2, it's a rather famous one. Um, You might have heard of this many, many times if you had grown up in the church. The story goes like this. Uh, Jesus comes back home, and he finds that there's a huge crowd that had been gathered in front of his house. And out of nowhere comes these four random guys who have a friend who is paralyzed. And so they carry the friend on a bed and they find this crowd in front of them. And so they could not get through the crowd to get to Jesus. So what do they do? They climb onto the roof of Jesus' house. They rip up the roof and they plop their friend down in front of Jesus. And if you're asking, like I was asking, Why does it seem so easy for them to, like, carry a person on top of a roof? Are they, like, super fit? Like, are they, like, super strong or something? Um, Well, it turns out that the architecture of Jesus' time in this region of the world was so that it was actually quite easy, or I should say easier, because can you imagine, like, just imagine four of your closest friends. And just just pick one person who's going to go onto a bed, And imagine yourself and the rest of you carrying the bed and going to one of your houses and putting that bed with the friend on top of your roof. And now imagine yourself digging through the roof, right? Like kicking it down or like, I don't know, like hammering it or or something so that you can plop that friend down with the bed. I don't really know if that job is going to be so easy. But these guys did it and turns out it's probably possible because the architecture back then, the homes were very flat. They were lower than the buildings that we live in. And the way the roof was constructed, the beams were nicely spaced out, and the material that was made, the roof was made out of, oftentimes than not, were easily replaceable. And so these guys get up on the top of the roof, they dig dig the roof up, they plop down their friend in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, I forgive your sins which is really odd. And then the religious types that were gathered in the house starts to grumble just secretly in their hearts. And Jesus, being God, knows that these people were grumbling, so he calls them out. And he says, I want you to know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he looks at the paralytic And says, son, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And to the people's amazement, the paralytic is healed instantly. He gets up, he goes home, people praise God, and Jesus leaves his home once again, supposedly to the next place of ministry. When I read this story, the first thing that jumps out to me is how desperate the paralytic must have been. How desperate the paralytic must have been. I mean, obviously, the friends were desperate, right? Desperate enough to carry the friend up onto Jesus' roof and break down the roof just so that they can have a chance to see Jesus. But, you know, back then, in Jesus' times, if you were sick— And if you were severely sick, which paralysis would fall into? And I don't know if this person was paralyzed temporarily or if the medical knowledge back then was good enough so that they knew and they understood how to distinguish different types of paralysis. I don't even know if there's different types of paralysis, actually. So I know some of you are doctors among here, so please coach me after. Um, But if you were paralyzed, then people thought that you sinned against God because people believed back then, and Jewish people still believe this, that ultimately your physical condition is a reflection of, a, of your spiritual condition. So that if you were paralyzed, the Jewish community would have thought that you must have done some wrong, serious wrong against God, and God struck you with paralysis. Or, even worse, that you might have been cursed by God that God somehow had it in his mind even before you did anything, that he cursed you because God is all-powerful and he knows what he's doing. And because of that theology, people would have stayed away from the paralytic. That not only was this person physically limited in a significant way, but this person would have been socially cut off from his entire community. And because of that, the person probably would have struggled a lot with emotional issues, mental issues, sense of inferiority, isolation, anxiety, worthlessness. All of these things would have been going on by the simple mentioning of the person being paralytic. But Jesus meets the desperation of this person with compassion. Take a look at verse 5. Verse five says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. It says Jesus saw their faith. In the original text, If you examine the words that are used and the way that the phrase is constructed, this phrase doesn't simply mean that Jesus acknowledged the loyalty of the friends that brought this paralytic into him. It does mean that, but it does mean far more than that. What it actually means is that Jesus, in his inner being, connected to this paralytic, something in his heart was moved. He became in compassion with pity. It was a visceral experience that Jesus was going through looking at this paralytic. It wasn't that he casually recognized their faith, but it was that he connected. His heart went out to him. He didn't know what to do because he felt so sorry. He had so much compassion in his heart that his inner being was moved. That's what means, that's what this phrase means. And it makes sense to me because he continues by calling this paralytic son, son. And this is not a a patronizing term, son. The specific word that is used in here, son, technon, means a child living in willing submission. A child living in willing submission. And now, for those of those parents among here with us, um, I'm sure you understand. You love your children all the time, right? But sometimes... Your child is so lovable, like, you just can't help yourself because she's, like, so proper in your heart, like, it's almost as if, like, the child's words and actions and smiles and attitude and every little thing is just so fitting and proper in your heart that you're just like, oh, man, like, I don't know what to do, like, I'm a, ch- I'm a father to a first grader, and sometimes she's like that. Like, I just, oh, like, I just want to hug her and kiss her, and I just want to, like, I wish there was so much more that I can give to her than everything that I already have, which is all hers. Don't we feel like that? And other times... I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> For those of you our are parents, and kids, if you're watching this at home... Mommy and daddy loves you, okay? I just, I just want to make sure that you know that. We, we love you very much. But this word technon, it means that. It doesn't mean son, casually. It means Jesus is so moved by compassion and love for this paralytic person that he labeled this person a child living in willing submission. And you know what? Theologically, technon, is referred to a descendant of Abraham, a special category that Israelites used to identify themselves as people of God. So what Jesus is doing here, just by calling this paralytic person a son, he's restoring this person's dignity. He's affirming this person's belonging to the family of God. He's raising this person up. Jesus is a compassionate God, amen? I just want you to know, if you're suffering from anything, whether it's COVID or different types of unrest that's going on in our country or your personal hardships, I want you to know that Jesus is a compassionate God. I want you to know that he hears you. I want you to know that his heart is moved by you viscerally. In his inner being, he has love for you. And in his perfect plan, he will. And in his perfect timing, he can heal you. Jesus is compassionate. But church, make no mistake, because what Jesus wants even more than the desperate physical, emotional, and social healing that we may need from time to time, what Jesus ultimately desires out of his people is none other than forgiveness of sins, spiritual restoration, mending of relationship back to the Father. And of course, physical healing and spiritual healing are not nicely compartmentalized right a human being every single one of us are we're complex beings and 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 we can't easily reduce ourselves into oh well this is this is like my my physical thing and that's like my you know spiritual thing and uh, so on and so on we can't do that and in fact jewish people recognize it as i already mentioned that they thought that at the root of All things that are physical, therefore emotional and social, you know, so on and so on, all the relevant things was a spiritual reality. Spiritual reality. And so, when Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, in verse 5, the scribes, the religious people, were mad not because they didn't understand what he was trying to say, but because they understood all too well what he was trying to say. They knew exactly. What Jesus was trying to say in that. And I was wondering, as I was reading reading this chapter over and over for today, I was just wondering, why did Jesus do that? Like, why did Jesus trigger these people? I mean... In chapter one, Jesus does all these miracles. He begins, this is beginning of his earthly ministry, and he does all these amazing and wonderful miracles and teachings and preachings, and and so he draws a crowd into them. In fact, even here, I think that healing would have been enough because in verse 12, it says, they were all amazed. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Basically saying they became a Christian. They thought, wow. God can really do that? Why didn't Jesus stop there? What, shouldn't he have been focusing on bringing more people into his ministry, preaching the gospel to them so that they can repent their sins and be saved? Why, why, did, they have to, why did he have to rub certain people the wrong way here? It's as if Jesus was using the physical healing to make a point. And I believe that the point that he was trying to make is that he wanted his people to know that he has the authority to forgive sins. He wanted his people to know as much of importance as physical healing may be, that his ultimate purpose, our ultimate desire should be spiritual healing restoration unto the Lord. And in fact, this is a pattern that Jesus seemed to display. I I brought a little slide for you. Um, Hopefully we can show that slide. Is that ready? Oh, okay, cool. Um, I I see it in front of me. Okay, perfect, thank you. Um, So these are the stories from the book of Mark where if you were to read through the entire gospel, you will find several more stories. Uh, In Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 10, there are stories of Jesus who who miraculously heals all these people, but he makes it a point. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. He claims these faith-related things. And in chapter 7, he looks to heaven before healing, which is, a widely accepted notion that he was making a spiritual connection to the Father, which Jewish people believe that he was at at this time. Thank you for the slide. Um, Jesus is a compassionate God. But Jesus' ultimate desire for his people, for you and I, is that we become alive in our spirits. That however we may want to define it, that our inner being is connected back to the Father. And I wonder, in this graduation season, where your spiritual desire, where our spiritual needs and our convictions have been. Um, I, I, I've been driving a lot more, actually, because I, I live in Pasadena, and I'm trying to move to Cerritos, Cerritos gang, uh, um, but I've been driving a lot more, commuting to uh, Brea uh, at our church uh, from, from Pasadena, and so I, I've been listening to a lot more praise songs Lately, and I love it. Uh, and, and a few days ago, I listened to a, a classic, a classic hymn, "In Christ Alone." Um, In Christ Alone, I am. Is, is praise team taking an application? Ben, where are you at? Yeah. Um, you know, so you know the song that I'm talking about, um, and it really got me to reminisce about the humble beginnings of my pastoral ministry. And, and I'm still nobody, and, and I want to remain as a nobody. But The opportunities that God has given me um, up until now, and especially now serving you at Living Hope, man, I just, it's, it's all by His grace. But you know, often... Rather than being thankful and, and being amazed by it, I find myself wanting more. More recognition. More security. More stability. Just more things. And, and can I be really raw and honest with you? I, at the risk of maybe turning you off because I'm a pastor and you know, hopefully I don't discourage you, but more money. A bigger house, a nicer car, maybe a private school education for my child. Don't get me wrong, I love the Lord. Jesus saved me, he is my God. But I know that in my heart of hearts, there's a battle that's been ongoing between the things of this world and things of the spiritual realm. And when that line came out, to count my gains as losses to the glory of my Lord, I I just lost it. I, I was shedding tears of frustration listening to this song driving in my car because of the conflict that I have, and I wonder where we have been. Whether we have been pursuing forgiveness of sins, spiritual restoration, inner life and connection with God, or whether we are just satisfied with just coming to church, which we can't even do so easily anymore, and busy pursuing Other things. I want to end with this. Um, You know, when I read this story, I, I wonder who we relate to the most. Is it the gathered crowd? Is it the grumbling scribes? Or is it the loyal friends? To me, it's definitely the paralytic. Helpless, broken, desperate. Jesus, in verse 10, after claiming that he wanted people to know that he has authority on earth to forgive sins, he continues on in verse 11. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And of course, he had meant for this person to go home, like a physical home. But if you look at the word go, hupago, it's a specific word that means to go under someone's leadership, to get to a place, not physical, but a place of belonging as a holistic being. It's a spiritual term. I believe that Jesus was making a spiritual point that he wasn't telling the paralytic to just to go his physical home, but he was telling the paralytic to focus on something else, something deeper, something spiritual. And I believe that is a call to all of us here today. It doesn't matter how long, you have been away from God. It doesn't matter how often you feel like you continue to fail. It doesn't even matter if it's your first time today that the conflict that I've described for you that's going on in my heart, if, you, if it's your first time recognizing today that you relate to that kind of conflict. Because Jesus, in verse 13, he sets out He sets out to another town, to another city. He has shown over and over again that he will continue to visit his people, to heal them, to speak to them life and truth. And it's the same with us, that he has come visited us yesterday. He is here with us today, hopefully right now through this message, and he will come tomorrow to knock on the doors of your hearts, to ask, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. So let me ask, church, what are you living for? What have you been chasing after? What is the bed that we are sitting on that's been holding us down? Let's go, let's go home. Let's go back to our Father. Let's chase after God's desire for us, the spiritual things, the spiritual inner being that he has granted us. So I say to you, church, as Jesus has said, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would waken our souls this morning, God. That you would use the words of truth and life as you have spoken to the paralytic. That you would not let us settle in pursuing things that are of the world. And no, they're not necessarily bad things in themselves, and sometimes you bless us with it. But God, let our heart's desire match your desire for us. Forgiveness of sins, spiritual restoration, back onto our Heavenly Father. Help us to go home today. And in Jesus' name, amen.